0: You're listening to Mystery Still Unsolved, a podcast where we discuss unsolved mysteries, both past and present. I'm your host, Rochelle. Today, we will be discussing the missing witness. and welcome to mysteries still unsolved. Can you believe that we have made it to the last episode of the new Netflix series of unsolved mysteries? It has been truly a wild ride. Netflix will be releasing six new episodes this upcoming October on the 19th, but don't you worry, I'm not a quitter, and I'm still going to be providing you with a new unsolved mystery each and every week until then. I will also continue to update you on all of the cases that we have previously covered. Speaking of which, In regards to the third episode of this podcast about the Berkshire's UFO, apparently this past summer, many people have been reporting seeing UFOs in the Berkshire's area. I mean, what else isn't going to happen in 2020, right? While law enforcement can't be certain, they do believe that the reports are either people having a bit of fun since watching the Netflix episode because they're bored, but it's also important to disclose that all of the activity that was reported happened around the 4th of July. So it definitely could have been like Chinese lanterns or something, but I wanted to share that with you for a good laugh. Also, according to the Baltimore Sun... Porter Stansberry is talking. Remember Porter from the Ray Rivera case? He apparently agreed to a phone interview after information was released that he might be in the process of suing unsolved mysteries for defamation. He claims that he didn't know he needed to talk to investigators because he didn't think that there was any question about what had happened to Ray after his death. He said, I didn't talk because I knew it was obvious what happened. He also claims that he never put an official gag order on his employees. He simply told them that if they were approached by any media source, they needed to refer them to an official spokesperson who would be handling all of the inquiries. But Allison retorts this interview. Allison remembers Ray's, uh, Rivera's widow that if that were truly the case, then why has he refused to come forward and speak until now? And if that is the case, then why did he not attend either funeral and refuse to return any of Allison's phone calls after Ray was found? How come Detective Beyer is saying that Porter refused to talk to him? Porter claims that he did eventually speak to a detective, but it was not the detective Beyer. It was the detective that replaced Detective Beyer. When that detective was later contacted for a comment, he didn't return the call. So we are not able to verify if what Porter is saying actually happened. Porter says that a week before Ray's disappearance, Allison had called him to tell him that Ray was morose and refusing to get out of bed. Porter says that he has been receiving death threats since the episode has been released, and he also says that he thinks the episode was a true failure on Hollywood's part. Quote, he thinks the episode should have been about the signs and symptoms of mental illnesses and how to identify them in our loved ones and what we can later do, and he is upset that they instead use their platform to sensationalize the death of his 32 year old friend he ends by saying quote you will never know how devastating it is to have to repeatedly express how you did not kill your best friend end quote and in regards to rob that freaking guy from the episode that we discussed last week on patrice andres apparently rob is upset because he feels Netflix deliberately failed to disclose the fact that he has since remarried, claiming that somehow that would absolve him of any guilt. I'm not really following, are you? So that's what's new regarding the cases that we have discussed thus far. I will of course continue to keep you updated on all past cases that we cover. If you have been with us since the beginning and you haven't already, please leave a review or share on your stories on Instagram or on Facebook. It's quick, it's free, but it makes a huge difference to the Mysteries Still Unsolved podcast. Our reach will go so much farther and the word will go through social media if you leave a review. So thank you so much. Also, if you haven't already, follow me on Instagram at Mysteries Still Unsolved There you will get sneak peeks, updates, there are discussions of all of our previous cases, our community is very warm and welcoming, and we all share a common interest, our undying love for true crime. So follow us on Instagram and come home. You're welcome here. (laughs) All right, let's start with today's episode, shall we? Today's episode begins with an on-screen photo of two beautiful young ladies, brandy peterson and lena um so brandy peterson is lena's sister says this photo was taken only a few days before lena went missing apparently lena wanted her sister to delete the photo because she thought that she looked horrible but brandy assured her girl you look great she didn't delete the photo and she's so grateful that she didn't because it's a photo that she has been deeply deeply cherishing now Then there's a plot twist. She says, if only I would have known what my mom was capable of doing. Your mom? What the heck is going on? This case now takes us to Ozark Mountains, Missouri, Valentine's Day, 2006. Robin Schumacher tells us that she dropped by Lena's house and Lena's boyfriend at the time claimed that Lena had taken off with a new boyfriend in Florida. Lena says, how? Jason says, I don't know. That's what your mom said. Lena didn't take any of her clothes, her photographs, or her young son named Coulter. Robin knows that Lena would never have left him behind As soon as Robin learns that Coulter is now in the custody of her mother, Sandy, she knows something is terribly, terribly wrong. She knew that her mom had done something to Lena. We now meet Detective Rick Letchworth. He said that they received a call reporting a missing person. And after speaking with family, it's to his understanding that Lena's stuff was packed up into boxes and basically left out on the front porch until it was ruined by the elements. He says she had a son here that she loved dearly. To him, it is not logical that she would have up and moved to Florida without taking any of her possessions or her son. He decided to reach out to Brandy, Lena's sister, to find out more about the day that she disappeared. Brandy told the detective about their upbringing and her theory of what she believed happened to Lena. Brandy said that they were poor their whole childhood. Her mom was a good mom while they were growing up. She was very straight edge. She never drank, never smoked, smoked, (laughs) smoke. She was affectionate and hardworking. She says that the mom she remembers, and that's the mom that she misses. There were six kids in their family, all girls, Brandy, Lena, Robin, Rosie, Gian, and Rachel. Even though Brandy was the oldest, Lena kind of took charge and basically acted as the oldest. Brandy didn't care. She was more indecisive anyway, so she never had a problem with Lena assuming that role. We learned that Lena was ornery, but bubbly and fun to be around. She had a positive attitude, and when she would get really passionate about something, she would talk really, really fast, and it was hard to keep up with her. Mm, That sounds a little bit familiar to me. I feel like I'm looking into a mirror. (laughs) You didn't have to think about what was on her mind because she'd tell you. Mm, That seems like me even more now. (laughs) Robin said there were many hard days. Apparently, Sandy, their mother, would never end a relationship before she had another relationship lined up. She would never stay with a man for longer than two years. Sandy was particularly interested in married men, and Brandy said it was even better if that married man had brothers. Because of this, she and the girls were constantly uprooting their lives to begin a life with a new man, and that happened again and again and again and again. Brandy says that her mom used her sex appeal to lure and manipulate men. We now meet Albert McCullough. He had been divorced and single for quite some time when he went on his first date with Sandy. They hit it off, and before you knew it, they were married. Brandy says she was 10 when the two of them got together. She speaks very highly of Albert. She says that he was very fun and laid back. Sandy was going to nursing school and Albert was responsible for a lot of the child rearing to support her with her goal at this time. So he signed them up for gymnastics and sports teams and was very involved in their lives. Albert says he felt very close to the girls, but after Sandy did what she did, there was no way that he could maintain a relationship with them. We learn that after only three years, he found out that Sandy was cheating on him. Who was she cheating on him with? His very own brother, Gary. In a field by their family home, the two brothers had a physical altercation. Gary was beating Albert up. Albert was beating him up. At some point, Albert began to have the upper hand in the confrontation, and Sandy came up behind him and hit him over the back with a large stick. It knocked the wind out of him. Once Albert was able to catch his breath, he told Gary, I'm done. This girl ain't nothing but trouble, and you better leave it alone. Brandy said that they moved out of Albert's home in Arkansas and back to a farm in Missouri with Gary. The two married in December of 1996. Robin says that once her mother became involved with Gary, their lives completely changed. Gary was much more strict than Albert and gave each and every girl a list of responsibilities that they needed to do on his farm. It wasn't because he was mean or anything like that. The girls all remember him fondly. They said he just really wanted to teach them responsibility and self-discipline and how to work and how to earn for themselves. Every night after the girls completed their responsibilities, he would take them out for ice cream or play a board game with them. Brandy says that she appreci- appreciates the lessons Gary taught her because it taught her to rely on herself and not to rely on any man for anything. The girls cannot say enough good things about Gary. They all reiterate that Gary was a good guy. He just got mixed up with the wrong person. <coughs> Sandy. <laughs> Andrew Shealy, a reporter says that Sandy had developed a pattern and that she would pursue married men. And once she finally had them, you know, she would soon lose interest and move on to the next guy and so on and so on. So Gary and Sandy are living this new life together. And after only two to three years, she meets a new guy, Chris Klemp. Chris is younger Um, He's only 21 at the time, and some would say more handsome than Gary. He comes from a bit of wealth and has accumulated several properties in the area. Robin says she remembers the first time she heard about her mother and Chris Klimp. It was about March 1999. She remembers being worried for Chris, actually. She says that Chris was short and skinny, basically a twig, and Gary was the whole tree. She says she remembers thinking... Oh man, Gary's going to whip Chris's little butt. Gary's friend Jeff tells us that Gary was country and he was a bit of a homebody, but he wasn't stupid and he didn't want to deal with Sandy fooling around behind his back. He says he thinks Gary was more hurt than mad about the situation. Richard Anderson was Gary's friend and attorney. He says that Gary called him to inform him that Sandy had been cheating on him. But furthermore, she had been passing bad checks in his name and Gary had actually been arrested for that. And he was pretty upset because he was able to tie it back to Sandy. He told Richard that he needed his help in getting a divorce. The next thing Richard knows, Gary goes missing. In May 1999, Gary had missed work for a few days and this was extremely unusual to everyone that knew him. Gary didn't miss work. He literally couldn't afford to miss work. So immediately his friends knew, we're not looking for Gary. We're looking for his body because it was only over his dead body that he would ever neglect his farm and his animals. Jeff said at some point he spoke to the sheriff and informed him that Gary had come over to visit him one day with a shotgun. Gary gave the gun to Jeff and said, I need you to keep this here and hide it. Sandy is threatening to kill me with it. He said, in fact, last night she pushed the barrel of this gun into my belly and pulled the trigger. Jeff opened up the gun and noticed that there was a live round inside. It must just not have gone off. Jeff said the look on Gary's face upon that discovery is embedded in his mind forever. He said Gary's entire face was drained of any and all color. That was the last time Jeff saw his friend alive. On May 13th, police are notified of Gary's disappearance, but not by Sandy, by Gary's cousin. Brian Martin, the lead investigator, received a call and headed over to Gary's property, Upon arrival, he found that no one was home, but that one of Gary's cows had escaped the pasture. He and another officer were in the process of getting the cow returned when Sandy and Lena came driving down the driveway. Sandy stopped the car, got out, and demanded to know why they were there. Brian, the detective, said, Sandy, is there anything going on that I need to know about? We received a call that Gary has not been seen in several days. Sandy says, oh, yeah, I've been, um, meaning to call you about that. Ryan says, well, do you want to fill out a missing persons report? Sandy replies, well, yeah, I guess. I should probably do that, huh? Sandy claims that Gary had left to go get roosters from a neighboring city and never returned. About a week later, Brian returned to the home with a search warrant to search Gary and Sandy's residence. Sandy was not very happy about it, but she had to oblige because they did have a warrant. They were able to spend a good amount of time there, and they did notice some very startling discoveries. For starters, all of Gary's clothes and belongings had been removed from the home. In fact, there was no evidence that Gary had ever lived there, There was, however, a wallet on the kitchen table, and when opened, that wallet belonged to Chris Klemp. Keep in mind, Gary has only been missing for one week, and Chris is already moved into the home and assuming that husband-stepdad role in Sandy and her children's lives. The sheriff tells us that upon the discoveries they found in the home, he asks Sandy to take a polygraph, to which she looks him dead in the eye and tells him, if you find a body- I'll take a polygraph test. He knew at this point that they were going to have a very difficult time finding Gary. Brian recalls the girls being very uncooperative and antagonistic towards law enforcement, particularly Lena. Lena was about 13 or 14 at the time, and she was very protective and very close to her mother. Brian could tell right away that Sandy was the boss and Lena was the number two. Whatever Lena said, the girls would quickly obey. Robin remembers going into a room with all of her sisters to be interviewed by investigators. The officers were asking them questions about the day that Gary went missing, and they didn't say anything. She said they didn't say anything because Lena had told them that if they said a single word, the cops would take them away from their mother, and they would all be sent away to live in different homes and that they'd probably never see each other again. The girls obviously didn't want that, so they listened to Lena, and they didn't say anything. Brandy says that her mother has been getting them to lie for her their entire lives, but Brandy says she remembers. She remembers what happened that day like it was yesterday. She says that she and her sisters had come home from school and their mother met them at the door. She told them, hey guys, a cat had kittens in the field. Why don't you go and look for them? Brandy was 15 or 16 at the time and she didn't want to go look for kittens. So she sat on the porch waiting to be let in. She kept yelling to her mom, can I come in yet? No. What about now? No. Finally, Brandy became impatient and she decided to go in. She didn't care about what her mother had to say. I mean, she's 15 or 16. I don't think 15 or 16 year olds care what their mom has to say. When she opened the door, she saw her mother on her hands and knees scrubbing the floor with a ponytail. She says as peculiar as the scene was, her mother scrubbing the floor, the thing that she found the most unusual was that her mom's hair was pulled back. She says, my mom was all about sex appeal. Still is. She thinks ponytails are ugly and I had never seen her wear her hair like that. And I've never seen her hair like that pulled back again. She remembers it smelling bleachy. That night, their mom sat them all at the kitchen table and told them, if you guys are asked anything about Gary from anyone, You tell them Gary left to go get a fighting rooster and you guys had spaghetti dinner that night and you haven't seen him since. That's it. That's the story. And if you say everything that I'm telling you exactly as I've said it, everything's going to be fine. Robin returns to tell us that That night, their mom puts all of them into one bedroom and instructs Lena to sleep in front of the door so no one could get out. Even as young as she was at the time, Robin knew something wasn't right. So after a while, when it seemed like Lena had left or fallen asleep, she tiptoed to the window where she saw her mom and Chris struggling to load their truck with a big bundle. She says she remembers being terrified as she noticed Gary's boots hanging out of the plastic tarp. Then she said they drove away. Robin was so scared that she never told anyone about it until she was much older and was approached by a detective. Gary went missing in May. By August, Sandy had taken all of the girls and uprooted again to St. Louis. It was here that Sandy and Chris were married. Then about a year later, they all moved to Sligo as a family. In August 2000, Lena began exhibiting unusual behavioral changes. Her friend says that when they first met, Lena was really straight-laced. They would go to parties, and Lena wouldn't drink or do any sort of drug. But as the years went on, she began to delve into that dark world. He said he could tell that Lena was dealing with something pretty heavy, but she didn't seem to want to talk about it, and at the time, the two were only 17, so he just didn't really know what to do. Randy said that she was really lonely and that you could tell she had come to a point in her life where she wanted to talk about what had happened that fateful day. Ultimately, she confided in a boyfriend about all that had happened that night. The boyfriend, through some gentle persuasion, encouraged her to speak to Gary's family. He said, if you know information that could bring the family peace, you have to tell them because the family, they're still looking for him after all of these years, and that's not fair to them. Lena agreed with her boyfriend and she told him, I will speak with Albert. She had always liked him. Remember, he was her stepdad for a little bit. So, you know, they had a bit of a history there. On August 26, 2003, Albert said he remembers getting a call from Lena and she didn't seem right. She seemed like she had something heavy on her heart. Albert obviously still cared about her and wanted to know what she had to say because he could tell something was really eating her up inside. They agreed on a time to meet up and Lena came. Albert had recently purchased a tape recorder and secretly he began to record their conversation. We are actually able to hear the audio tape confession in the episode, but I'll transcribe it for you now. Albert. Who killed Gary? Lena. Mom. Okay. He was sitting on the couch eating eggs. She walked out and shot him three times in the head. She couldn't hack it until we all came home. She, you know, she wrapped him in paper, um, plastic, plastic stuff, and hay, hay, hay strings. And this is on the bedroom floor. Albert, on the bedroom floor? Lena, yeah, she had dragged him in there, and then she locked the door and everything. And and we got home, and she had me go in the bedroom because she didn't want me to see what she was up to, but I had already seen it because I had peeked through the bedroom door. And even though I saw it, I mean, I didn't want to believe it and she took him, and, and they put him in the truck, and they left. Gary says he believes every word of what Lena told him. He said they talked all night, and she was shaking and trembling the entire time recounting the details of the crime. Albert, well, I need something to verify that Gary's gone. Is there any way that a person could go about doing that? Lena, there's nothing There is nothing whatsoever left. There isn't. He was burned, completely burned, and everything that was at the burn pile was put into buckets and spread into different locations. I can't remember where at. I mean, I was there. I'm the only one that knows exactly what happened, but there's nothing left. I burned the tips of my fingers, getting the bones from the ashes. I know this makes me sound like a bad person, but I mean, what was I supposed to do? Albert, you were a kid. Lena, yeah. Albert, doing what your mom asked you to do. Richard says that when Albert showed him the tape, he was excited because finally they had of what had happened. They had some knowledge of what had happened to Gary. They called the sheriff who came and picked up the tape. The next day, Sandy and Lena lawyered up. Lena and Albert were supposed to meet up at a later date, but Lena didn't show this time. Guilty, guilty, guilty. A lawyer acquired by Sandy suggested that Lena recant her confession, which then would make it like a he said, she said situation. Brian says that this is a case that drives him crazy. He says, I know exactly what happened to Gary. I know exactly who did it and how he was disposed of, but there's nothing I can do because knowing and proving are two different things. Albert is heartbroken because he says when Lena came forward, it put some hope into the case. But then after she recanted, the case just went cold, ice cold again. He's upset because he knows exactly who killed his brother. There isn't a doubt in his mind that Sandy did it. Brandy said she had heard about some of the details, but she couldn't believe it yet. She said, you grew up your whole life thinking that your mom, your mom, couldn't hurt anyone, and now you have to process the fact that your mom could have murdered someone? But one day, Lena opened up to Brandy and told her the whole story, just as she had done with Albert. Brandy couldn't believe what she was hearing. She didn't say anything. She just listened. The next day, she got into an argument with her mom. She said, I just got so mad at her. I was calling her names. And then I threatened her and I told her, I'm going to call the police and tell them every single thing that you did to Gary. I know. Lena told me everything. She said, her mother got quiet and stared at her for what seemed like an eternity. And then she said, get in the truck. And Brandy does. Are you freaking kidding me? Brandy does go into the bed of the truck, so she figured that would be her best bet if she needed to like jump out and escape. She and her mom and Chris went for a drive. It was the middle of the night and super dark. All of a sudden they stop on a deserted dirt road. And this is the thing of nightmares. Before she knew it, Chris was standing to the right of her with a shotgun pointed in her face she said it was the scariest moment of her life well yeah and she jumps over the bed of the truck and now she's facing the front of the truck she finds herself looking at her mother but her mother is refusing to look at her or even acknowledge her existence she said my mom can see me and she can hear me screaming but she never even looks at me once her eyes are dead to the world Brandy says while tearing up, it was so hard because I didn't know what to do. If I stayed, they would kill me. If I ran, they would definitely kill me. She didn't even know where she was. Thinking quick on her feet, Brandy runs to her mom's side of the truck and just hops into her lap. He knows that Chris. She knows that Chris will not shoot her then because it would risk hitting both of them. She says to her mom, please don't let Chris hurt me. And after several moments... Her mom says, please don't hurt my baby. Chris puts the gun down and they drive back home. Talk about an awkward car ride. (laughs) Can you imagine? Before that night, Brandy never could have believed that her mom could hurt someone or anyone. But after that night, she knew exactly what her mother was capable of. She never spoke to anyone because she didn't want to risk her life. She knew if she said anything, her mom would carry out her murder next time. She says, but that's what Lena did. After Lena's confession, she never said anything to law enforcement again. A short while, Lena gave birth to her son, Colton. She didn't want to have anything to do with Gary, most likely because she was either afraid of being locked up and away from her son or afraid of her mom hurting her. She just wanted to work and provide for her son. That was her only goal. Sandy took care of Colton while she was at work. Brandy says that she was doing really well for a few years. She wanted to make enough money that she wouldn't have to rely on her mom anymore. So she took out probably more jobs than she could handle. In 2006, Lena had plans of getting married. Lena had found a guy that would be a good role model for her son, and she was about to be financially independent of her mother. Andrew Shealy, the reporter, says that Sandy found this to be a threat because if Lena was fully independent of Sandy, then Lena could confide what she knows. So there's this rising tension between Lena and Sandy, which really makes a peak when the lawsuit is filed. Richard, the McCullough family attorney, had filed a civil case, since a criminal charge didn't seem like it was happening anytime soon, alleging that Sandy and Chris had killed Gary and that Lena was an accessory to this murder. I mean, Lena does admit to helping to dispose of the body in the recording that they have. They were going to push for Lena to get immunity due to her age at the time of the crime. Also, they would give her that trade if she agreed to provide testimony where she discussed the details that she knew and told the court who was indeed responsible for Gary's demise. That was their hope, but it didn't turn out that way when the civil case is finally brought before a judge chris is there sandy is there brandy is there robin is there however someone's missing lena when it's asked where lena is sandy tells the story that lena had run off to florida brandy says this was absolutely not true Brandy had been hanging out with Lena and she knew what was going on in Lena's life. And there was no guy from Florida. Albert says when he, when he received the call that Lena was missing, his immediate thought was Sandy. He says, of course it was Sandy. Lena held the keys to their prison cell and Sandy couldn't have that. So she got rid of her. Lena could have busted the whole case wide open. Robin, shortly after, talks to the cops and expresses her concerns that Lena is not in Florida but has in fact met with foul play and her mother, Sandy, and Chris are to blame. Robin started putting up missing person flyers around town and she later found out that her mother was paying a girl $5 a piece to take down her missing posters. What the heck? Why on earth, when someone pay... To have their missing daughter's posters taken down. TikTok. I think we all know what time it is. It's sketch o'clock. I mean, it's already been that time, like the entire episode, but I literally can't even believe how effed up this is. After finding out about what her mother is doing, she calls her up. Robin says, I know you're the reason Lena's not here. You messed up this time because you killed my sister, and I don't care how long it takes me. I'm going to make it my mission in life to prove that you killed Gary or Lena and I'm going to make sure you rot in jail. Sandy puts on a fake motherly voice and says, How could you say that? I'm your mother. Don't speak to me like that. Robin says, you're nothing to me and hangs up and she hasn't spoken to her mother since that phone call. Brandy has told all of the officers that have come to speak to her that Lena went missing because Lena made a confession tape. And because of the trial that was coming, her mom was terrified. She knew that Lena was of age now and could do whatever she wanted. My mom wanted Lena gone, Brandy says. She knew if Lena was gone, she would get away with what she had done. And bonus, she would also get Lena's son, Coulter. Law enforcement agrees that Sandy had two motives for making Lena disappear. First, she had firsthand knowledge of the crime. Also, she had a son, Coulter, that Sandy desperately wanted. Sandy had six daughters and had always wanted a son. So much so that when Coulter was under her care, remember Sandy is watching Lena's son while Lena's at work, she would make Coulter call her mom. This is just getting more sketchy and more weird by the minute. Robin says, my mom had it in her mind that she was Coulter's real mom. So when Lena went missing, Sandy almost immediately filed abandonment charges and got the rights to Coulter. Lena wasn't there to defend herself. So the courts agreed with Sandy. I mean, while she isn't here fighting for her child. So yeah, I guess she's abandoning this child. You can have him but Brandy says her mom knew that Lena wasn't going to show up for court because her mom knows that where Lena is, she can't come back. Brandy says with disgust, So yeah, my mom got what she wanted. Doesn't it seem like Sandy's always getting what she wants? In July of 2013, Judge Carr Woods heard the wrongful death lawsuit brought against Sandy and Chris for the murder of Gary McCullough. Lena's confession tape was not allowed to be used as evidence in the case because Lena wasn't there. The court did hear all of Sandy's children who all agreed to get on the stand and testify against their mother. Brandy's testimony of the shotgun incident where she hopped into her mother's lap was particularly powerful Brandy says she was absolutely terrified to speak about what her mother had done, but she felt like she needed to do it, and she felt brave and proud of herself afterwards. She said it was hard, but Gary's family deserved someone fighting on their behalf to get the woman responsible for the death of their loved one behind bars. Albert, Gary's brother, wasn't allowed to be present when Brandy said her testimony, most likely because Albert himself was going to be called to the stand. But his friend later recalled to him that several jurors wiped tears from their eyes during Brandy's testimony. Ultimately, the verdict in the civil trial was that Chris and Sandy were liable for the taking of the life of Gary McCullough. Sandy and Chris were ordered to pay $7 million in damages to Gary's children from his first marriage. The family has yet to see any of this compensation. Shocker. Sandy and Chris divorced in 2014. Sandy has since remarried, double shocker, and still maintains custody of Lena's son, Coulter. Brandy is pissed that every morning her mother gets to wake up and raise her nephew. Apparently, she hasn't seen Coulter since he was in kindergarten. For a long time, Coulter was homeschooled because Sandy didn't want Coulter finding out the truth from the kids at school, but she promises that when Coulter is old enough, Brandy and her sisters plan on telling Coulter what really happened to Lena and who is responsible. Brandy vows that she will spend every day of the rest of her life trying to put her mother away. She says sometimes she feels afraid, afraid of what her mom is capable of, but then she has to shake that fear away because if she lives in fear, nothing is ever going to be done for Lena. Andrew Shealy returns to tell us that Chris and Sandy had access to two separate properties at the time. We have a Sligo property and a Salem property. Brandy and Robin were given permission by the current owners to search the property that was once owned by Chris and Sandy. It is the property that they lived in when Lena disappeared. Brandy knows that wherever they put Lena, it's going to be very, very hard to get to. She says her mom is a cold and calculated killer, so she's not stupid and would never risk putting Lena somewhere that could be easily stumbled upon. Then we see Brandy walking around the property in attempt to find a well that doesn't seem to be there anymore. Hmm. Brandy knows that it was there, but it must have been filled in before her mom and Chris moved. Now Robin is saying that a few months before Lena went missing, her mom had bought this property. And while she was giving Robin a tour, she told Robin that they had buried the family dog Toby underneath a tree. But Robin later remembers in hindsight that her mom had told her that they had buried the dog at the old house. Now, Robin wonders if Lena was actually buried there. The Salem Police Department, with the help of Unsolved Mysteries, hires someone to use a ground scan tool to look into the two areas that aren't sitting well with the sisters. Their hope is that they will find a disturbance in the ground that will let them know if they need to do some investigating in that area. Unfortunately, after a day of searching, no remains are found. Robin and Brandy promise that they will never, ever stop searching for Lena and that they will never let anyone forget about her. When asked if Lena could see this episode, what would you want her to know? Both sisters respond, they just want her to know that they love her. If you have any information regarding the disappearance of Lena Chapin, please contact the Dent County Police Department at 573-729-3241 or place a tip at unsolved.com. And that's the episode. How are you guys doing? That was a rough one. After watching the episode, I'm not going to lie. I was a little bit disappointed, not with the case, not like with any of those details. I feel like Gary and Lena's disappearance definitely deserves attention, but this to me, at least it just doesn't really seem like an unsolved mystery in the traditional sense of the show, because I agree with Brian, the investigator and Albert and Brandy and Robin. This case is not really unsolved it seems like we know exactly who did it. The only unsolved mystery here is how on earth Sandy is able to be out of prison right now and raising the child of the woman, her daughter, that she killed. This case seriously just boggles my mind. They have a confession tape. Now this person is missing, most likely murdered by the one person who wanted her gone. And you're telling me, we can't put this woman away. I think there's a point where people need to realize that these are not coincidences. Sandy is responsible. She's responsible for everything. So why the heck isn't she being made accountable for what she's done? That's the biggest unsolved mystery here. As always, I did a little bit of digging into the case using sources outside of the episode. I used Cheat cheatsheet.com, reddit.com, bustle.com, and murderpedia. One Reddit user claiming to be a family member is disappointed that the Netflix episode made it seem like Lena just just like up and disappeared one day, but being a family member, she knows that there was a lot of incriminating evidence inside Lena's apartment. Apparently, she is saying that after Lena supposedly ran off to Florida, the landlord had to complete renovations due to bloodstains on the carpet. The landlord has been quoted as saying, it looked like a dog had been chopped up in there because when the carpet was pulled, a giant blood stain was found below on the wood as well as the underside of the carpet. The landlord supposedly disposed of the old carpet and never notified police because he was unaware of the circumstances behind Lena's disappearance at the time. All he had heard was that Lena moved away. To make matters even more interesting, soon after the entire apartment complex was mysteriously burnt to the ground. The Reddit user also pleads with fans of the show to please not threaten or retaliate against Sandy, mostly due to safety concerns over Lena's son, Coulter, who is still currently residing with Sandy in her custody. On Bessel.com, we learned that several fans have noticed some slight loopholes in the confession tape itself, which I kind of had a problem with as well. It's difficult to decipher when Lena was there and when she wasn't. At first, she says she saw her mother kill Gary while he was eating eggs on the couch. Then she says she wasn't there when it happened because she and her sisters are not allowed inside when they come home from school. Then she says that her mom hid Gary in the bedroom, the same bedroom her mom made her stay in while she was cleaning up the blood in the other rooms, as the other girls looked for kittens. Wouldn't Gary's body be in the bedroom if they disposed of him later that night? Then her sisters claim she was sleeping in front of their door, preventing them from coming out, but Lena says she was there when her mother and Chris loaded Gary into the truck. Then she says that she rode in the cabin of the truck to avoid being seen, but investigators say that when they searched the truck, there was so much garbage and crap and like McDonald's bags in the cabin that it would have been impossible for someone to even sit on the floor and that it didn't appear that anyone had been there like sitting on the floor for quite some time. We do have to keep in mind that Lena was only 13 at the time. So it's possible that she's mixing up memories with things that she was later told by her mother. I mean, my daughter is six. She's so much younger than Lena, but oftentimes she tells us stories and tells us that she remembers them, even though she was like two at the time of the story. And we always ask her, do you really remember that? Or are you just remembering a picture or a story that we told her? And she insists that she remembers, but we know that that's not the truth. Another source, Chris Klemps' ex-wife, the one that he left so that he could be with Sandy, reveals that during a heated debate, he threw his hands up in the air and yelled, I don't have time to think about this right now. I don't have time to talk to you right now. I'm trying to figure out how to get away with killing a man. While this is damning evidence, consider the source. A woman scorned after being left for a much older woman. She has motive to get Chris in trouble, and that motive is revenge. I don't think that we can discount Brandy's testimony at all either. I very much believe that when her mom told her to get in the truck, all of the following events that she described did indeed happen. I can't for the life of me figure out why on earth she would go with them, but hindsight is twenty twenty, and I'm sure she looks back and asks, yeah, why did I go with them? I'm curious to know what you all make of this. Do you think Sandy and Chris were involved with one both or none of the disappearances. Do you think Lena was actually there or do you think she heard bits and pieces from her mother later? Do you think Lena was telling the truth in the confession tape? Do you think Lena really just moved to Florida to escape her murderous mother? Who the heck knows? I am a little suspicious of this landlord... I mean, even if you didn't know the circumstances behind your tenant moving, you would think after finding that much blood, you would contact the authorities. I wonder if the landlord has something to hide, especially since shortly after the building was burned down. Seems awfully sketchy to me. I think it needs to be looked into. Um, I also think that they didn't talk about um, like, interviewing Lena's boyfriend at the time, but I mean... I'm assuming that they did because usually when a girl goes missing or a husband goes missing or they die, um, they always look into the spouse or whoever was they were in a relationship with. But when all is said and done, I think Sandy certainly has something to do with it. I mean, from night one, she was feeding her daughters a story to stick to. Then later with Lena, she was paying someone. She was paying someone to take down the missing posters I think that is definitely something that is unfathomable beyond belief. Even if you don't particularly like your daughter because she was about to throw you under the bus, you would think a mother could set that to the side for a moment to figure out the truth behind what happened to her daughter. Go to the post on Instagram at mysterystillunsolved and tell me what you make of all of this. And don't forget to join us next week when together we'll discover did someone ever place a useful tip? Has justice prevailed, or is the mystery still unsolved?